Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. In a separate story, I spoke with a black woman in Baton Rouge who underwent an abortion at the age of 16. That experience made her a solid supporter of the pro-life movement. For this particular story, I spoke with another African-American woman, Lakeisha Harris, who is firmly pro-choice. I wanted to focus these discussions on black women because historically, rates of abortion in the U.S. have been highest among them. So it stands to reason that the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade would affect African-American women more than any other group. And as far as Lakeisha Harris is concerned, that's deliberate. I was just like, they finally did it. Um, I was heartbroken. I was devastated. Um, I was angry, you know. Um, angry at the fact that uh, so many people need abortions, and there are so many reasons why people get abortions, economic reasons, um, rape, incest, um, all of these hard, hard things that people have to consider when they uh, are trying to navigate their lives, and that now they they don't have that option, they won't have that option, I should say. When we think about like trying to travel for uh, an abortion, it's it's just like where where, where are we going to get the funds from? Like it's very hard. We're going to have to reach out for funds for that. Whereas white men, white women who are making way more than us can have ease of access of travel and funds and 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 can travel outside of this state to get it. We have children, and most of those children, like us, are existing in a state of poverty in this state of Louisiana. So we have to think about where we're going to keep our kids. Most, most women seeking abortion have children. And so we got to think about where we're going to keep our, our children when we go out of state. And we got to pay not only for travel expenses, but a place to stay. And all of those things that, and, and community resources that we may not have access to. Now in New Orleans, right, um, some of us have a little bit more access to those things. But when we think about Louisiana as a whole, there are many rural areas that, uh, where black people exist that make even less than that 48 cents on the dollar. And so when it comes to accessing abortion, black women, black people who need abortions in this state will not be able to access them in a way that white people who have resources, have community, will not be, will be able to access it. Lakeisha is the co-executive director of Lift Louisiana. The group's mission is to fight for policies that impact women's health including abortion. Lakeisha has been an advocate for what she prefers to call reproductive rights for 27 years. But when she was a teenager, she wasn't ready for the situation she was in. I grew up in a little small town called Kankakee, Illinois. And um, Kankakee was miles away from a, an abortion clinic. I apologize if I'm prying, but how old were you when you became pregnant? 
I became pregnant at 16, and I gave birth to my daughter at 17. Was that a troubled relationship because of the circumstances at that point? Because you were well, debating whether you wanted to, to keep the baby? And I was young. I was young. That You know, I was young. I didn't have a job. I was living at home with my mother. My mother was in poverty. And that's not to say that I don't love my daughter. I love my daughter immensely, you know. And I wish I had had all of my options. That way I could have made a more informed decision. I think that uh, so many times when we are existing in poverty, we don't get to have a choice at all for anything. Not where we live, not where we go to school, not healthcare access, not anything. And I know that people who have those options can't imagine it, but it is an immense life to go through. I am a black woman in America who have never really had true access to healthcare, you know, off and on because it's connected to, to our labor, um, meaning that I, I can get some health insurance, um, but even when I have health insurance, navigating health systems are a burden. The decades of division leading up to the overturning of Roe v. Wade have been filled with arguments over religion, race, and politics. Lakeisha says the pro-life movement is filled with hypocrites, and they're not just Republican. She believes it's more an issue among conservative Christians. That includes some Democrats as well. Our governor is a Democrat, and he signed the trigger bill into to law, right? So he has been unapologetic with being a pro-life Democrat. So I don't want to say that it's just Republican. I really want us to analyze that and see who is actually for us and who is working against us via Republican or Democratic Party. It's mountains of hypocrisy. Um, I, I find it like we, we talk about a separation of church and state, and we live in a, a country where everybody gets to practice their own religion. We have the people that are pushing anti-abortion measures are Christian white, white people, right? I, I'm not Christian. Why do I have to adhere to Christian values and Christian ways? This is not a Christian country. This is the United States of America where everybody gets to practice and everybody gets to live here. So you're enforcing Christian values on people who have a right to exist in a country free of it. And so that's one hypocrisy. Lakeisha says there's also hypocrisy from women who have had abortions in their past and then actively supported efforts to have abortion banned. It's similar to the turnaround a pro-life supporter recently described to me. She had an abortion as a teenager, but no one outside of her family knew. Then a few years ago, at a pro-life rally in Baton Rouge, she shared her abortion experience with a room full of people. This is how Tara Wicker described it. And so I'm arguing with myself and the voice of God, like I'm not, there's no way I'm gonna walk up here and tell a room full of strangers what happened to me when I was 16. And sure enough, you know, who argues with God, right? And so I get to the podium, and at that moment, for the first time in over 30 years, I told the story of um, getting pregnant the very first time that I had sex in my life. I got pregnant at 16, 
and the aftermath of having an abortion, the impact that that abortion had on my life. And by the time I remember, as by the time I finished speaking to the crowd, everyone was on their feet standing up, you know, and there was not a dry eye in the room. They were crying. And I remember pastor's wives that came up to me after that meeting saying, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, that same thing happened to me. I've just never been in a position where I've been able to really say anything about it. So you were in a group of pro-life supporters mm -hmm. that admittedly said they too had abortions. Yes. Some of which were pastor's wives just like me. Here's Lakeisha. I find it definitely appalling that these people will have their abortions in silence and we will not be able to. And and they had and and they had safe abortions too. <laughs> they had they had access to the clinics, you know, they had access to providers, um, and they didn't have to travel immense ways to get their abortions. And it's appalling, really, to be like I had an abortion and now I'm going to fight so that you cannot have an abortion. It's appalling to me. It's just, it's ridiculous when you think about it. Like, um, they have had this epiphany that, oh, maybe I shouldn't have had it. But that's your epiphany. For many people who have had abortions, right, they are thankful that they did not have to bring a child into the world that they did not want to have. I think it's hypocritical because you're saying in one breath you're pro-life, right? And, but you're also pro, like, uh, mass killings of babies. I mean, we just had, we just constantly are witnessing uh, mass killings. Um, we had black people being killed in Buffalo in mass. We had black I mean, brown babies being killed in Uvalde, Texas, but also every day on our streets. Here in New Orleans. Here in New Orleans. We're getting people shot at and killed. But you don't want any gun laws, right, that um, gets in the way of your guns. But you are so pro-life. I don't understand. Make it make sense. You're so pro-life that you also don't want to support more... Um, resources being given to um, parents who need resources like uh, supplemental milk and um, uh, also, you know, you'd put people out on the streets in a pandemic, you know, there's no more resources for rental assist assistance. So how much, how pro-life are you really? Like you're pro-life until the child gets to this side of life and then you're not, you're no longer pro-life. It don't make sense to me. And I think there is also, and you correct me if I'm wrong, as black Americans, you also have to fight the stereotype of the welfare queen and people relying right. on government help. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, we're, we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't. You know, if we, if we, if we work too much, um, then we're leaving our kids at home. If we, you know, are asking for assistance from the state, then we're welfare queens. If we, you know, and people are going to have sex, right? They're going to they're gonna have sex and people are going to get pregnant. And so it's almost, it's like, don't have sex unless you are married and can take care of the kids and get all of your ducks in a row. 
And I don't think that that's anybody's life. Nobody's life is perfect. We don't have perfect narratives, experiences, or lives. Lakeisha admits that it's hard to imagine a scenario in which any doctor or clinic in Louisiana would run the risk of prison time and fines to perform abortions. To that end, Lakeisha says the pro-life movement accomplished its goal. Now she wants to see if the pro-life lawmakers will put money into social services that could see a surge in demand. The state foster care system is one of them. I wonder what, where are those people that are adopting those black and brown children that are already in the state system? Why, why aren't you generously going to adopt those babies? If that's the case, why are there still black and brown babies that are in need of adoption right now? So you're so willing to do that. Empty out the orphanages and group homes right now. There are tons of babies that need adopting. But you won't do that. I just don't buy it. I don't believe that all of a sudden our senators and our congresspeople have this epiphany that now they're going to implement everything that people need to make sure that poor children survive. I don't do. I don't I don't buy it. And I I want to see how this plays out and I'm going to hold our officials accountable. Do what you said you were going to do. Do what you said you were going to do for them. And I want to say for the record, I'm, poor, I'm pro what people need to survive. Pro whatever resource they feel they need for their own survival, right? And so if abortion is that resource, I'm pro that, right? If, if they need diapers, if they need Similac, which people have been fighting over milk in this country. They've been fighting over milk, resources. I'm, I, I, need, I need that too. I'm also a doula. I support people having, giving birth, right? Um, I'm an active doula. So if, if people want to give birth, I'm that for them. I'm there to support them through that birthing process. If they want to have an abortion, I'm there to make sure that they get the resources that they need to go ahead and do that. I want people to live the way that they need to live, um, to be whole, to be whole in a society that don't give us very much by way of resources when you're on the bottom. We are definitely on our own. I mean, the Supreme Court made it so. We're definitely on our own. Yeah, we're, but we're still here in the fight. Make, make no bones about it. We're still here in the fight, and we're still going to fight. What Lakeisha says she'll do now is continue to connect women to the help they need. That includes finding ways to get them to places that still allow abortions. The closest one to Louisiana is Illinois, which happens to be Lakeisha's home state. For WWL Radio, I'm Tan Trung.